Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, April the 28th, 2022. It is currently 7, 12 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I know you have so many options, so many things to choose from. The fact that you would take any time to listen to us, we greatly appreciate that. We are humbled by that, and it is an honor to have the opportunity to sit in front of a microphone and talk about doctrine, theology, church history, do Bible studies, and all of the different things we ha- we try to do and hope to challenge you to help you grow spiritually, to provide you some spiritual food. And I hope in this episode, we really challenge you to think, well, about what's going on within the church. I'm going to ask some questions here. I really want you to put your thinking caps on. Are you ready? Are you willing to take a hard look, not only at the church in general, but at your church? Let's even get more specific. Are you willing not only to look at the church in general, to look at your church, Are you willing to look inside of yourself to see if this is a problem with you? Let's start with the church. Do you think the church, right? We as in you. Yes, we as in you. We as in us, right? All all of us. All right. Someone in chat was making a comment, but I really want you to think about this. So I want to start with the church in general. I want you to think your church. Then I want to think think about you, yes, me, all of us, okay? I, I, want, I want this to apply to anyone who claims to be a Christian, but let's just talk about the church in general. Do you think, in general, the church has not become a place that has exalted God's word, but has become a place that has exalted human tradition? Now, I know your your first thought is going to be, no, 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 no. The church is a place that exalts the word of God. We believe in scripture alone. But in in so saying that we believe in scripture alone, is that's that's what we say theoretically. That is what we may confess. That is what we may claim. But in practice, has the church really become the temple of human tradition. Now, some of you will say, well, the Catholic church has. I'm not not talking, talking about the evangelical Christian church, your church, my church. We say it's the word of God, but has it become really the house of human tradition? It's no longer the house of God's word. It's the house of human tradition. It's no longer the temple of God per se. It's the temple of human tradition. It's no longer the place that exalts the word of God and elevates the word of God and elevates human tradition. How about your church? I mean, be honest, look around your church, what people think, what people say, what people believe. Is it the word of God or is it human tradition? You, inside of you, you'll say, no, it's the word of God, the word of God. But have you, in a sense, become the temple of human tradition? tradition. I really want you to think about this. Now, I'm grabbing some pencils here because whenever I start thinking, I have to hold a pencil in my hand, right? So because I'm thinking out loud here, but I want you to think with me, all right? So symbolically, I've, I've picked up a pencil, but when I pick up a pencil, it's more than just a symbol. To me, it, it just, that's, that's really when I start thinking and my mind goes into overdrive here. So I had, I had to grab a pencil. I want you to think about this. So far, I've thrown out some theoretical ideas, some theoretical ideas about the church and is the church become basically the the temple of human tradition. And I know there will be immediately some pushback. But I want you to think about this. Do you think that in the lives of many Christians and in the lives of, of, uh, in the life of many churches, 
There's all kinds of things that we say, that's sinful, that's wrong, and we condemn, and we, in a sense, hand out laws, we hand out things that people must do, we tell them there's things they cannot do, and we almost treat it as if it comes from God, as if it is scripture. But what if the reality is that all of these rules and all of these, you can't do this, you must do this, you can't do this, don't do this, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's a sin, that's a sin. What if we were to stop and look and find that a lot of that is not scripture alone, it is the product of human tradition. I've been a Christian now for a pretty long time. I mean, since I was a teenager. So I've spent my entire adult life, you could say, as a Christian, going to churches, listening to sermons, listening to Christian radio, listening to Christian podcasts, whatever the case may be. And I've heard so many sermons that this is a sin, this is a sin, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. For example, I was told that I could not listen to the the rock band Foreigner because by doing that, I was clearly demonstrating I could not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, it was stated dogmatically that I could not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ listening to the rock band Foreigner. I've, I've heard it said time and time again that, that if you claim to be a Christian and you're listening to secular rock and roll or secular music or rap or, or EDM or whatever the genre is, you can't, there's no way you can be saved. So in other words, the proof of one's salvation to be saved, I cannot listen to secular music. Or if you watch this kind of movie, if you go here, if you do this. If you play cards, if you law have long hair, I mean, you can just go, if you go to the movie theater, you can go on and on and on. There are lots of things that the church has basically made. This is what proves you are saved. This is, that would prove that you're not saved. I've seen churches that say, if you commit th- these four sins, then here are the consequences because there has to be consequences. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily lay out the consequence, right? The Bible doesn't say, if you commit this sin, here's the consequence. Here's how long the consequence lasts. It doesn't say that, but, but people will go, Hey, see, if you do this, you're disqualified from A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yes, permanently or temporarily. It doesn't matter. They will tell you that they get their idea from scripture. And many times they will quote a scripture, but when you go look at the scripture, you're like, Does it really say what you claim that it says? How much of the church is nothing more than human tradition? I mean, I heard people say that if you don't vote for Donald Trump, that you are basically not a Christian. Okay, where did that come from? Where, where, how, how did that, where, where did that come from? Like that's, that's craziness. That's human tradition. I think there's a problem. Now, I've got two stories here that I think will kind of demonstrate a little bit of what I am talking about. Well, I could I could give more, but I came up with I came across these two things and I was like, I think this goes with this. But before we get to these things, let's do this. Let's go to let's do kind of a little bit of a Bible study. All right, let's do a little bit of a Bible study this evening. But that's kind of my 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 thesis. That's really the theme. Has the church become really the temple of human tradition? How much of what goes on in your church is nothing more than human tradition? Look, I, I heard it. I mean, it was, it was so, so many things I have been told as a Christian that if I don't do this, if we don't do this, if you don't do this, basically you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Implying that if I don't do these things, it is wrong. It is a sin. And sometimes I'd be like, well, wait a minute. Where was the, where, where in the Bible does this, the church supposed to be doing all of these things that the church is doing? So if you push back on many of the things the church is doing, you'll be considered the one who's wrong. Yet there's nothing in the Bible about the church even supposed to be doing these things. I, I cannot tell you how many times if, if I didn't go to the church picnic or the church hayride or the church fall festival or any of these activities, then there was something wrong with my spirituality. There was something wrong with my spiritual life. I wasn't being pleasing to God. And then they would try to find some scripture to make that argument. And I'd be like, I don't know if that scripture is really saying what you're claiming that it's saying. But hey, they had a scripture they could quote. So I better go to these activities or I'm not a good Christian. And I'm like, I just don't, where are you getting these ideas? 
Well, this is not a new question. It's not even a new problem. I think we see a little bit of this in the Gospel of Mark. So if you can, Mark chapter 7. A little Bible study on a Thursday evening, and then we're going to look at these two things that I have here in front of me. The two things that I have in front of me maybe become their own podcast episodes, but we'll talk a little bit of them about them right now. Are you ready? Let's start with Mark chapter 7, verse 1. We have a number of verses here to look at, and we're going to look at it in a number of translations, all right? Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Each one of the verses we're going to look at, I'm going to look at it in a number of translations so that we get a good idea of what's going on here. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 7, verse 1, according to one translation. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. New Living Translation. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. ESV. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, so we have the Pharisees and basically teachers of the law, the supposed experts of the law. So we have religious leaders. Religious leaders show up. I want to really drive that point home. Uh, Berean Study Bible. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Berean Literal Bible. After the Pharisees and some of the scribes, having come from Jerusalem, they gathered together to him. King James. They came together unto him, the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. So think of it this way. Here's all of the religious leaders who should know the Bible, who should know the word of God, Right? They're the ones who should, should be uh, preserving it, teaching it, defending it, explaining it, interpreting it. Those are the ones the people should be able to look to and go, tell me what, what is God's word? What, what is God, what does God's word say? What is his will? What should I do? Just, just keep that in mind. Right? Go to verse two. And some of his disciples, eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed, New Living Translated, translation, the religious leaders, I like the way this translation puts it, they notice that some of his disciples, referring to Jesus' disciples, failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The ESV, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed washed. All right. So they, uh, the Amplified Bible, and they had, they had seen that some of his disciples ate their bread with ceremonially impure hands that is unwashed and defiled according to Jewish religious ritual. So they see something like that. That doesn't look right. That there's something wrong here. There's something not right. Now, we could go and look at all the cross-references in regards to this, and we could have a a, a big discussion about this, but let's just continue. Verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. New Living Translation, this is Mark 7, 3. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. ESV, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding the tradition of the elders. Berean Study Bible. Now, in holding to the tradition of the elders, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat until they wash their hands ceremonially. Berean Literal Bible, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash the hands carefully, holding the tradition of the elders. The Amplified Bible, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, holding firmly to the the tradition of the elders. A tradition had arisen within the religious community that, hey, you don't eat until you wash this way. A tradition had arisen. Within religious communities, within Christian community, within Bible-believing communities, even within those who say scripture alone, the danger of a tradition arising from within that group and being elevated as basically being scripture. Look, this is so important. 
For many within the Protestant world, we'll look to Catholics and say, you're filled with traditions, 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 traditions. We believe in the word of God. And so we condemn the Catholic traditions. But I'll tell you, there's something very deceptive that happens within, say, the Protestant world. We, t- we, we, these traditions develop these ideas of this is being wrong or this is being right. You must do this or you can't do that. What, what the Protestant world does, we don't say, well, this is just a tradition of the church. This is a, 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 an oral tradition that was handed down by the church fathers. We don't do that. What we do is we take our tradition, right? Like I have a bottle of water right here. Let's say this bottle of water is filled with tradition. And what we do is we go find a Bible verse and we'll write that Bible verse on the bottle of tradition and pa- repackage it like this is scripture. We take our tradition and, and camouflage it. We dress it up in scriptural language. We try to take our traditions and make them scripture. We try to find some scripture to say, see, that scripture, that my tradition isn't tradition. It's actually scripture. And that to me is extremely disingenuous and very, 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 very dangerous. Because we take a tradition and we cover it up. We disguise it. We camouflage it with a scripture that we put on it. I mean, I've had people tell me that, that uh, if, you know, I'll never forget that we had someone basically tell me that the church needed a men's camping trip. And if we did not, and this was one of the most important things the church would ever do. And they, I don't even know what scripture they tried. They tried to find some scripture saying, see, we, we have to do this. And you're like, where, how, what, when, where, what are you talking about? And I've seen just so many, just find a scripture and you're like, I don't know what that scripture is saying, what you claim that it is saying. Yes, it is. It is a drastic misuse of scripture. So I want you to see that, that that's what makes it so hard to find in, in the Protestant world is because everyone claims, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. Hey, we look, you can't, we, we have to have that potluck. We have to have that potluck. We have to have that fellowship because, well, the Bible says fellowship. And then we just say that we just find somewhere that uses the same word. And we'll take that word and say, well, it's talking about the potluck. And if you don't go to the potluck, attend the potluck or support the potluck, you're in sin. And you're like, well, I don't really know if I, no, I, I don't, I think there's a problem here. And we elevate it. We elevate it. Okay? So, and, 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 well, I could just go, we, we'll just continue here. All right. So they, 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 they had a tradition, all right, of men, tradition of the elders. All right. It's Mark chapter seven, verse three. And let's go to Mark chapter seven, verse four. Again, a number of translations. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. New Living Translation. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. That is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. ESV. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, and cup, copper vessels, and dining couches. Berean Study Bible. And on returning from the market, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions for them to observe, including the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and couches for dining. Berean Literal Bible. And on the coming from the market, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they received for them to hold to, washing of cups, vessels, and utensils, and couches for dining. King James Bible. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups, pots, brazen uh, bra- brazen vessels, and tables. Uh, the, the Amplified Bible. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves completely according to ritual. And there are many other things, oral, man-made laws and traditions, handed down to them, which they follow diligently, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper utensils. See, there was a number of traditions that they now were holding to. They're the religious leaders. They're the experts on God's word, but they've now taken these traditions and they've mixed it in with God's word. They've elevated it. 
If you don't follow the tradition, you're guilty of God's word. You don't follow their perspective, you're guilty of God's word. And I bet you they would have found a scripture to justify said traditions, just like we do within the Protestant evangelical Christian world, right? If, if, you, if you like some form of entertainment that others don't like, they will simply say, love not the world, love not the world. And you're like, well, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. But I mean, I, I, I can't even tell you. I, I, had to, I had to live through this, right? And what the very first school that I ever attended I could not listen to secular music. That was a sin. I could not go to the movie theater. That was a sin. Love not the world. However, I could go to Blockbuster Video and rent all the movies I want. I couldn't go to the movie theaters because that's loving the world. But going to Blockbuster and renting them, that wasn't. I couldn't listen to secular music, but I could spend eight hours on a Saturday watching college football, and that wasn't loving the world. I couldn't go to the movie theater, but I could go to the Nebraska Cornhusker game. Like what? It was just arbitrary. And these were rules. And if I did those things, I was basically viewed as being in sin and I would be thrown out of the Bible Institute. And I could just go on and on with all the crazy rules that there were. And it's just so arbitrary, but that would have a verse. Love not the world, but it was always weird. The things I wanted to do was worldly and the things they wanted to do just happened not to be worldly. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that hilarious to wear? It's the same thing. They had taken a tradition that they that worked for them and then other people were placed in bondage. Here, they had all of these rules. So, you know, this is going to lead to conflict. Jesus' disciples don't seem to be following these traditions. Those religious leaders are following this tra these traditions. And let me tell you, you've got to follow the traditions of the religious leaders or you will find yourself in trouble with them. Here we go, Mark chapter 7, verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating foods with defiled hands? New Living Translation. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. The ESV and the Pharisees and the scribes said, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Berean study Bible. So the Pharisees and scribes questioned Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Instead, they eat with defiled hands. So they're upset. The, um, the Amplified. So the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the traditions of the elders, but instead eat their bread with ceremonially unwashed hands. So there's a con there's a problem. They, they, they've seen you're not following our tradition. What's going on? Now, is it just a, just a friendly question or what's it going to lead to? Well, here we go. Look what Jesus is going to respond to them. Here we go. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. New Living Translation. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart are far from me. Now stop right here. This, this Jesus, they just asked a question and Jesus comes in like with a full, full blown attack full-blown attack. And he basically refers to them as hypocrites who draw near with their lips. They honor, you're honoring God with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Indicating that somehow they've almost replaced, listen to me carefully, they've almost replaced a heart devotion to God with a heart devotion to their traditions, to their rules, to their laws, to their system of morality, to their politics or whatever the case may be. One of the dangers within religious communities is we develop all of these traditions. We develop our own sense of wrong and right, our own morality. We, we, we develop all of our rules. And what happens is without even knowing it, we replace 
God's word with these traditions. Now we will we will quote scripture, but we really have replaced scripture with our traditions. When we do this, then we are honoring God with our lips, but our hearts are far from me because we've given our hearts to what we've replaced God's word with, which is now our our morality, our idea of wrong and right, or whatever the case may be. They, they, they still are trying to honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from God. Their heart is now committed to their earthly man-made traditions, and Jesus comes after them in a harsh way here, all right? Um, the, the Amplified Bible says this, he replied, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, play actors, pretenders. As it is written in scripture, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Wow. Their lips, they're still, they still talk about God, but their heart is not with God because their heart is now committed and given to, is, is dedicated to their tradition. The tradition, in a very subtle way, was put in place of God's word. All right, next verse, verse 7. He goes on, New Living, New International. They worship me in vain. Their, te- their, their teachings are merely human rules. Now, this is still quoting from Isaiah. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So their worship has, look, their heart is no longer committed to God. Their heart is committed to their traditions. So their entire worship is vain. Their entire worship is meaningless because their teaching are merely human rules. Now it just becomes you. They preach their standard, their rules, their tradition, their ideas, their philosophy, their politics, their morality, and God's word has been replaced. And nobody sees it because we're still writing some scripture on that bottle. That's nothing more than human tradition. I'm holding a bottle of water right here. We just wrote our some scripture on it. Here it is. God's un unadulterated, infallible word. And you're like, that's no longer God's word. That is your tradition. That is your ideas. So your worship is in vain because you, uh, your teachings are, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. The, 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 their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. In vain, they do worship me teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. They worship me in vain. They teach as doctrine the precepts of man. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Amplified. They worship me in vain. Their worship is meaningless and worthless a pretense. Teaching the precepts of men as doctrines, giving their traditions equal weight with the scriptures. Exactly what I said takes place. You're a religious community. You're a church. These traditions come in. And you may just say personal preferences, personal convictions. But little by little, your personal preference and your personal conviction starts being elevated and elevated. Next thing you know, it replaces God's word. You still preach it and teach it as if it's God's word. But in reality, all you are teaching are the doctrines and the commandments of men. And you don't even realize it. Now, you you may come across. Now, I want to make it very clear. Sometimes the one teaching all of these rules and teaching ideas, they appear to be very godly because they seem to be teaching a a high standard of of holiness and of, of morality. And they may be just taking a stand against sin and worldliness. And it looks so good. It, it may have this ring of, of spirituality to it, but you got to step back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does scripture really say that? Can you really condemn that? Can you really do that? Because I don't think scripture allows you to say that. They will, they will quote a scripture. Again, anything that they don't like, it's worldliness. Well, you, you could argue that it's worldliness. 
But if you, but they, they, they will condemn anything they don't want. And so now their, their view of worldliness really becomes the scripture, not the actual scripture. God's word gets replaced. Have you replaced God's word with your own tradition, with your own ideas? And you're going to claim that, no, 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 it came from scripture. This is so subtle. That's what makes it so wicked and evil. Verse 8, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. See, you have, you've let go of God's word. See, you had God's word in your hand and before you know it, God's word is set down and what you're holding in your hand, you're still claiming this is the word of God when all it is now is human traditions. New Living Translation, you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. An ESV, you leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. Berean Study Bible, you have disregarded the commandments of God to keep the traditions of men. Berean Literal Bible, you have neglected the commandments of God, you hold to the traditions of men. King James, for laying aside the commandments of God, you've laid it aside. You hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such likely things you do. The uh, Amplified, you disregard and neglect the commandments of God and cling faithfully to the traditions of men. You cling faithfully to them. You have to stop in your church. Has God's word been replaced with men's traditions, men's ideas, philosophies, politics, whatever the case may be? They're still going to claim it's scripture. And this is why it's a losing battle when you get into an argument with people within a church like this, because in many cases they're like, no, we're holding to God's word. You're a liberal. You're a Bible denier. And you're like, no, I think the only thing I'm denying is your man-made rules. But no, 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 you'll be viewed as the unspiritual one. You'll be viewed as the ungodly one because you won't follow their traditions. This is something that it, it's, it's evil. It's ungodly. Yeah, I, I could give all kinds of examples, but I want you to struggle. With, I want you to, I don't want to just give like every example in the world. I want you to think about it. Like, okay, in your own Christian life, do you have ideas and thoughts of wrong and right and what you condemn that may not even be scripture anymore? It, you may think you have scripture, but really it's nothing more than your own human tradition. Maybe based on how you were raised, maybe based on the a part of the country you grew up in. It can be based on so many things. Go to verse 9. And he continued. Jesus speaking. You have, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. You have a fine way. You, you, you've come up with an interesting way of setting aside God's word so that you can follow your traditions. New Living Translation. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. You, you've got an idea. You've got something that you, you, and you just hold on to it and you ignore everything God's word has to say about it. ESV, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. Berean Study Bible, he went on to say, you neatly set aside the commandments of God to maintain your own tradition. King James, uh, he said to them, full well, you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your own tradition, the Amplified. He, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside and nullifying the commandments of God in order to keep your man made tradition and regulations. I mean, he, he's going in verse 10. Now he's going to give them a specific example of how they do this. Look at verse 10. Uh, uh, again, from a number of translations. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. New Living Translation. For instance, no, he's, I'm going to give you an example. 
Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. So he gives them, here's what God's law said. Here is the word of God. Now, how have they set that aside for their own tradition? Well, let's see. Let's go to verse 11. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In other words, what they figured out how to do, okay, you're supposed to honor mother and father. You're supposed to do these things. This is God's law. But they found a way like, well, wait a minute, we can get around this right? Because maybe I don't really want to honor them. Maybe I don't like them. Maybe they bothered me. Maybe they irritated me. Maybe I don't love them. Maybe I'm bitter. Maybe I'm unforgiving. Maybe they don't deserve it, but I've decided I don't want to help them. So what did they do? They figured a way out. Oh, hey, this is what I could give to you to help you, but I'm sorry. I can't help you because this, I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. I mean, I, I've got a religious reason why I can't help you. I've got to give this to God. Sorry, I can't help you because because I'm being religious. I'm being spiritual. See, people who replace God's word with their tradition will always act like they are more spiritual, more godly than every everyone else is a sinner. Everyone else is a liberal. Everyone else is a Bible compromiser. Everyone else is woke. Everyone else has got some major problem. They're the godly ones. And they find some spiritual way to say, see, I'm being godly. That's what they, they found a way. Hey, hey, I, I could help you, mom and dad, but you know what? I'm sorry. I can't because I, I've, I've devoted this to God. Berean, uh, literal or Brian study Bible, but you say that if a man says to his father or mother, what, whatever you would have received for me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God. Um, the, um, the amplified, but you Pharisees and scribes say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is to say already a gift to God. They, they found a way out of it. They've become clever at this. Verse 12. Then they, they, uh, they go on. Then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. See, then, then you're, then you're like, okay, if you, if you've given that to God, then you don't have to do anything for them. You don't do anything for them because if you do that, well, then you're, you're breaking your vow to God. And this way you let them disregard their needy parents. Then you no longer permit them to do anything for his father or mother. See, then, then they were like, then you no longer let them do anything for his father or mother since helping them would violate his vow of Corbin. So they found a way to say, hey, if you devote this to God, well, you can't help your mother and father, even if they need to, because you got to keep that law. So in other words, you could use it as a loophole so you don't have to help, or the religious leaders can now make it a rule. Hey, you, you devoted that money to God. You can't be helping your parents now. It could be used as a weapon against them, or it could be used as an excuse. And that's what happens whenever we elevate our traditions. We either use it as a weapon to bind other people into bondage, or we use it as a loophole loophole to get us out of doing what we don't want to do. Verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that have, that have handed down. And you do many things like that. New Living Translation. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. King James, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered and many such like things you do. Amplified Bible. So you nullify the authority of God's word, acting as if it does not apply because your tradition, which you have handed down through the elders and you do many things such as that. They find a way to completely nullify and throw out God's word and they elevate their tradition. But listen, they would claim that that tradition is God's word. That's the twisted, psychotic thing about it. it. God's word gets replaced and nobody even notices it. And everyone's walking around saying, God's word, God's word, God's word, as they condemn people, condemn people, condemn people, condemn people, condemn people, condemn people. 
or they find a, a, a loophole to get out of it because, hey, I found a way to get out of it. Verse 14. Verse 14. Jesus calls the crowd and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. King James, when he had called all the people in them, he said unto him, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. So he's like, okay, he's just had this back and forth with them. He's given them an illustration of how they've replaced God's word with their tradition. Now he calls everyone. I want everyone to hear. I want everyone to listen. Now, verse 15. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, so he's like, hey, it's not what you put in you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you because, well, the corruption, the defilement is inside of us. Now, we could get into a whole discussion here about human depravity, but he wants them to understand it's not they eat something with dirty hands that doesn't defile them because the defilement comes inside to outside, doesn't come from outside to inside. The defilement is already inside us. The uh, Amplified Bible puts it this way. There is nothing outside a man, such as food, which by going into him can defile him morally or spiritually. But, but the things which come out of the heart of a man are what defile and dishonoreth him because the heart is well, wicked and, and corrupt. All right? Okay. And then, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there. So you see, Jesus basically condemns them for replacing God's word with their tradition. They were nullifying God's word with their tradition. And that's something we always have to look at because there's so much that happens in the church. You're like, where is that biblically? Where did you come up with this idea? Now, let me just give you a couple of examples. One, we talked earlier a couple of months ago about all the craziness and all of the articles being written about some things that happened at Grace Community Church. And one of those things is Eileen Gray, this wife who was being abused, she brings it up to the church. They go through biblical counseling. They want her to bring the husband back into the house. She refuses. The church basically disagrees with her. And she's like, I'm done with this. I'm going to leave the church. But Grace Community Church would not let her remove her membership. They said no. And then they go on, they go on to excommunicate Eileen Gray. And even though they excommunicate her, David Gray is proven not, is found guilty not as of sexual abusing the children within the family. The church never lifts her, uh, her church discipline. They never apologize. And what's bizarre about that story is she tried to leave. She tried to just go to a different church and they were like, nope, can't change your membership. Where is that in scripture? Where, where, where is that in scripture? You can't leave. You're going to stay here and we're going to excommunicate you. Where, where would you come? Like, how do you develop a doctrine like that from the word of God that you, that if it's time for you to leave, you feel like it's time to leave that you're like, nope, sorry, you can't leave. You got to stay right here. Where does that come from? Is that a human tradition? Hey, I want to leave the church because I obviously we're not agreeing with one another. I disagree with what you're telling me to do. I'm I'm not going to take this man back. He's a danger to the family, whatever the case may be. And they're like, nope, you're going to stay. If you don't take your husband back, you're going to be excommunicate. And then we're going to excommunicate you. Why wouldn't you just say, okay, well, you, you go where you need to go. Like what, 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 where does that biblically? But hey, that's one of those traditions of men. Let me tell you another story, just how crazy things can get in churches. And you just ask yourself, where does all of this come from? This was posted today. One year ago today, in a 6 a.m. meeting, I resigned from my role as an associate pastor due to a spiritually abusive lead pastor. I voiced my concerns to the elders they had asked for a list. Uh, then this day last year rebuked me for making a list. They couldn't hear it. So this person believes that the uh, lead pastor is spiritually abusive. He he says, "Hey, I'm gonna ha I'm gonna have to resign." They say, "Well, give us a list of the supposed abusive things." He gives them a list. Then they rebuke him for creating such a list. 
when uh, we had asked the elders for third-party neutral mediation multiple times. They sidestepped each of our requests because they were concerned a mediator would call this spiritual abuse. I remember thinking, I can't even see into the next week. I can't stay here. So they're like, hey, we need a third. In other words, the church couldn't even come to a conclusion. They asked for a mediation. Hey, we don't want a mediation because they may call this spiritual abuse. So they basically ignored the person. In the meeting, I cited Paul and Barnabas' sharp disagreement. I said, we are having a sharp disagreement about what is acceptable for a pastor and I, and I need to leave. The lead pastor rejected the sharp disagreement narrative, insinuating that this was all my sin. So now it's got to be someone's sin, right? Hey, I don't know if I really have a scripture that you've done anything wrong, but we have a disagreement and you're in sin. Because once again, Christians at any point, Christians, Christianity just gives everyone this ability to just say anyone is in sin, everyone is in sin. You can always find some way to condemn someone for being in sin. A year ago today, I was given a three-month severance. We had a mortgage, bills, etc. And my wife only worked part-time. Despite promising us the severance and writing with no, uh, with no exceptions, they revoked it when it was clear they weren't going to convince us we were the ones at fault. So this is all goes on inside. Of, these are the horrible things that happen inside churches that just shows you that Christians are all messed up people. But everyone thinks they're right and you're in sin because... We're operating not from God's word. We're operating more in line with human traditions. Now, look what happens here. We did receive one month of severance, but only because we took our time responding to a letter they sent us, a letter where they jumped to all kinds of conclusions and lied about us and shared with the church things they never had shared with us. We were in complete shock. I had no idea a year ago that the elders would then move forward to lead the church and excommunicating my wife and I less than two months later on the grounds that we were slandering the lead pastor and his household. So now the church takes this idea of excommunication and it's a weapon, right? The Bible gives us very little rules about how it works, but this person wants to resign and wants to leave. And two months later, you're going to excommunicate them? Well, if they resigned and leave, how are you excommunicating them? These are just weird human traditions brought into the corporate institution we call the church with rules and this and that and this. And it's like, where is that in the Bible? Him and his wife were excommunicated. I desperately wanted them to ask the entire church who's heard slander Blank looks would have filled the room. We weren't excommunicated for slander. It was because the lead pastor couldn't handle the feedback. We needed to be punished in his eyes. Now, and they go on and say, after all of this, they're glad that it's all gone. But the, that's, that's an insane story. How, how, so the church just holds excommunication like an ace up the sleeve and like, you know what? Oh, you want to leave? You can't leave. You're going to stay here and I'm going to excommunicate you. Why? You give, why? You do everything you can to avoid that. To me, it makes sense because excommunication, from my understanding in 1 Corinthians, is turning over someone to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That looks like that would be literally the last thing you would want to do. You would bend over backwards to avoid that. You would do everything in your power to give everyone every opportunity to avoid that. But rules and, and ideas, that where do you get that in Scripture? But I guarantee you this church would have been like, we believe in the Bible. We believe in the Bible. And they would quote some scripture somewhere and say, see, see, what we're doing is scriptural. And you're like, I think you're, I think you're confusing your tradition, your ideas with scripture, and you can't even see the difference. I wonder how many things in my life right now that are nothing more than human tradition that I confuse as being scripture. That, that's one story. Here's another. See if I can find it. And I'm going to make this a, 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 its own separate podcast episode, but I want to just mention it in context with Mark chapter 7. Does my lack of Bible reading anger God? 
does my lack of Bible reading anger God? Now, when I read that, I had to stop and go, wow, well, wait a minute here. Let me think about this. Let me think about this because my whole Christian life, it, Bible reading and, and Bible memory and, and Bible study has always been told, basically, it goes like this. You must do this as a Christian. If you don't do this, it almost is implied that it's a sin. And number three, if I don't do this or have a desire to do this or love to do this, it would be evidence to prove that I was never saved. Therefore, how do I know I'm saved based on how much time I read and study the Bible? Because a love for that proves that I'm saved. But if I don't do this, then I'm not saved. Therefore, I almost have to do this in order to be saved. That, that, and I can just go back and just look at the way this is usually handled. So it was interesting to see an article that says, hey, wait a minute, does my lack of Bible reading, does it anger God? In other words, is it a sin? Let's just see a little bit of what they have to say here. It starts with a question. Is God mad at me? I confess that I've asked myself this question more times than I care to admit. It doesn't only come when I'm thinking of reading the word of God, but also when I consider other things expected of a Christian like prayer and evangelism. I started the year excited with my reading plan, but as the days go by, work, responsibilities at home, or discouragement get in the way of my goal. Then one day, something goes wrong, the car breaks down, I have a problem with a friend, or I can't solve something at work. My first reaction is to think that God's it's God's way of saying he's upset with me. Ironically, uh, what leads me to think this way is the lack of Bible reading. If I meditate on the great hope of the gospel, my perspective changes. My life does not depend on what I can do to keep God happy, but on what Jesus did on the cro cross to satisfy God. Our father is not a father who's waiting to punish us for the slightest mistake, but a father who graciously teaches us and lifts us up through his word. Of course, any circumstance that keeps us from meditating on the scripture is worth fighting, but the reason is not that if we don't read, God gets mad at us. Rather, if we don't read, we're missing out on three great treasures. Now, we're going to talk about this later, but they approach this as, hey, no, 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 no. They, they're almost implying, almost explicitly, that, hey, if I don't read and I don't study, God's not going to be mad at me, almost implying that it's not a sin. But is it a sin? Or have we made a human tradition that says, if you don't read and you don't study and you don't memorize, you are in sin? Is that is that a standard that we've elevated or is that God's word? Now, people can find scripture that says, Des, you know, desire the word of God more than gold and silver more than honey in the honeycomb. Well, is that, is that, is that scripture? Like, in other words, is that a command? Study to show yourself approved as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of God's word. Clearly it's demonstrating that there's benefits that come from it. But can I say, if you don't do it, it's a sin. And if it is a sin, why don't we treat it as a sin? How much of it has all become convoluted where we have our ideas and then we've got our traditions? I'll just throw out another example, and this will be controversial. This will be extremely controversial, but I think it has to be discussed. There is a belief in the minds of many evangelical conservative Christians. I know I'm getting ready to tick a lot of people off, but I think we have to discuss this. That says something along these lines. If you are a homosexual or struggling with same-sex attraction. If you truly become saved, if you truly become born again, that desire will go completely away. It will be eradicated and you will no longer have a same-sex attraction. It will be completely gone. Now you will have a normal uh, sexual attraction of someone of the opposite sex. Everything will be changed. If it does not go away, you are in sin, and you're not a Christian. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me, as a heterosexual, as a, as a person, that when I became a Christian, all my desires for sin goes away? 
All temptation goes away. All lust goes away. All greed goes away. All selfishness goes away. Well, that's just not true because there's all kinds of heterosexuals who are gluttons, greedy, slothful, lazy, filled with lust, hate, bitterness, unforgiveness. All of those things don't go away, but we put homosexuality that no, 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 no. You can't be still struggling with it. No, no, no. It just goes away. And if it doesn't go away, then you're not saved. Well, wait, what? Is that our tradition? Because if that is true, logically, then anyone who becomes a Christian, all temptation goes away, all struggle goes away, and it's completely gone. I think it's very possible that someone can become saved and they still will, for the rest of their life, still have a same-sex attraction and it may never go away. I don't think that that puts them in sin unless it leads to lust or at least they act on it. So they would have to remain a living a life that's celibate. That's a horrible concept, but just the same thing we would tell someone who's single that they have to remain celibate. But but I've I've seen that no how if you say that you're not you're you're basically a liberal and you're you are you are affirming LGBTQ and you're basically an apologist for homosexuality. And I'm like, whoa, slow down. Where did you get all of this? Because I know that the Bible says obviously actions are sin. What we do in our mind is a sin, but those sinful desires, my, my, my sinful nature never goes away. Forget home. I don't even, I don't even have to look at it from a homosexual perspective. I can look at it from a heterosexual perspective. We all have sinful ideas, thoughts, concepts all the time. They don't go away when I became a Christian. So why would I expect someone who's struggling with homosexuality when they get saved that it would just magically go away? And many Christians, like, if you, if they have that desire, they are in sin. Well, then every one of our desires, that's not anytime we don't love God the way we're, we're in sin. So everyone's constantly in sin. So why do we treat their, their, their desire for sin different than my desire for sin? And why do we think their desire has to go away when our desire can remain? This is human tradition. This is, we, we just have destroyed the word of God. Now, by no means am I saying that they can engage in the activity because the activity is clearly condemned. We go beyond God's word all the time. All the time. But in our minds, we're taking a stand for God's word because we've replaced God's word and we don't even realize what we have done. I'll stop right there because I think we are at 57 minutes. So there you go. I want you to think about Mark 7, and I want you to just think about how you have replaced God's word with your tradition. I want you to think of how you have nullified. You've made God's word of no effect because you've replaced it with your own tradition and your own ideas and your own philosophies and your own concepts. You see this all the time. I mean, I, 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 you're, you, if you're in Texas, there are Texas Christians will have certain ideas and concepts that are more in line with the ideas and thoughts of the people who grow up in Texas than it comes from the Bible, but they'll argue that their ideas are biblical. But if you find those same Christi- Christians, not those same Christians, but you find other Christians in Seattle, Oregon, California, they, they, they will have ideas that are completely different than the people in Texas, but they will claim that their ideas are biblical too. And you're like, I think you've taken your ideas, your philosophies, your traditions, and where you were raised, and now you've tried to put scripture on them. And I think in reality, none of you are following, it's actually God's word. It's your own tradition and your, it's your own ideas and your own philosophies. People will bring their politics into it as well, that their political philosophy is now scripture. That's the thing with Christians. It doesn't matter what we think, political, social, cultural, entertainment, we always believe that our idea, that our likes, that our dislikes, 
are always scriptural and they're all, and we're, and we always have God on our side. And anyone who disagrees with us is wrong. Our political enemies are wrong because we've got God on our side. Our, our view of entertainment is right. Their view of entertainment is wrong because we've taken all of these things, which are nothing more than our own human traditions and ideas. And we elevate them to the place of scripture and we call it scripture when in reality, it's just our own attitude. But we always think that we can write scripture on it and claim that God is on our side. When all, in many cases, we've replaced God's word with our own ideas, philosophies, and traditions. Therefore, nullifying the word of God. There you have it. I hope it was beneficial. You can let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope it was helpful. Hope it was beneficial. And uh, some of those stories that we uh, we read, I may uh, that one about Bible reading, I may uh, turn that into its own uh, podcast episode at a different time. But now I'm going to take a break because it's 237 degrees up here, and I am sweating, and I don't like that. So because I have to turn the air conditioning off when I'm up here doing live broadcast, and when it's like 90 degrees outside, well then that's what happens. So all right, yeah, now I'm whining. So all right. There we go. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.